these aren't just cliches or nice sayings. You know, God is good. His mercy endures forever. That's the absolute truth of a God who never changes. And his promises are true because he's true. And he has all power and all willingness, all ability and, and a desire to save anyone that will come to him. I can't believe I just did that again. I've tried everything to get free and nothing works. Nothing has changed and maybe nothing ever will. I might as well just give up. If you've ever had thoughts like these, this special Ask the Counselor episode is for you. God is a God of tremendous hope and yet many feel hopelessly bound in their sin. Why? Today we'll look at some very common causes of hopelessness for professing Christians who struggle with sexual sin. I'm your host, Nate Dancer. Thanks for joining us. Many people who struggle with life-controlling habits like sexual sin will eventually reach a point where they honestly wonder if there's any hope for them to be free. And here's what I know to be an absolute fact. God is willing and able to deliver men and women from the most powerful addictions. How do I know? Because he promised to do it. And then he backed up that promise by sending his son, Jesus Christ, to destroy the power of sin by dying on the cross. So why do people end up hopeless when God himself has held out a powerful hope to them? I think that there's a fairly simple reason. Freedom and deliverance doesn't just come to us because we want it. Oftentimes, there are things within us that prevent us from receiving the power of the promise. So what I wanted to do in this show is to talk to one of our counselors, Ken Larkin, about some of the most common barriers inside of us that keep us from finding the freedom that we're desperately hoping for. Ken has been counseling with us for over 10 years, and I know that at one time, he was completely hopeless in his sin. So he really resonates with this topic. Ken, thanks so much for coming in. Thank you, Nate. So Ken, we identified five common barriers that would keep a person from freedom. And what I want you to do is flesh these barriers out and explain why it's going to keep a person from freedom. So the first one is dealing with sin on our own terms. First, what does it look like for a person to deal with sin on their own terms? And then why does it keep them from finding freedom? Yeah, it's interesting. When you talk about that, Nate, I thought like the deeper underlying issue really isn't so much dealing with sin on your own terms, but really wanting to serve God on your own terms. Oh, okay. And that unwillingness must be addressed because basically you're not going to be willing to do what it takes to find freedom. It's not just a matter of dealing with this one issue, but the underlying issues of that sin. And the whole lifestyle needs to change. It's not just this one issue. That's just a fruit of a whole lifestyle that's out of whack and not submitted to the Lordship of Christ. So that's very important that it's not just, okay, I have one problem and I'm going to fix this, but why are you drawn to this particular thing? Or why are you constantly being defeated by this thing? It's because your life isn't surrendered to the Lord. 
And you're never going to find that freedom if you hold on to your life because Jesus is the source of that freedom. But the freedom comes at a cost. You have to deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow him. And then you have true life and true freedom. Okay, right. So basically for a lot of guys, the issue still is in a certain way they want to be in control. So they come to Jesus and say, help me with this. And when he starts pointing out other areas of their life and says, we're going to need to deal with this, they're like, whoa, wait a second. That's not what I'm here for. Exactly. I didn't sign up for this. Yeah, yeah. And that is really one of the things that keeps them from real, genuine freedom. Okay, I like that. So it's more than just dealing with sin on their own terms. It's just, I want my life on my own terms. Can you give some examples of how you see that playing out? One good example that I've come across a lot is in our affluent American culture, you know, someone, maybe they have a dream job, and they can't even imagine giving up that job for any reason. Okay. So the bottom line is, okay, say I have a job where I'm constantly online and my issue is internet porn. Well, I'm just setting myself up for failure where I have time alone for hours every day online. And eventually, you know, and and it's not just you're setting yourself up for failure. Their track record has been, they have been given over. Uh Uh-huh. And the main thing is they're not willing to give up that job. Another thing is, okay, maybe they travel a lot and they're more susceptible to temptation, traveling a lot, being away from home a lot, being alone. Uh, They can get online or they can, whatever their their issue may be, they can get involved in that sin and they're not willing to give up that job where that would be a simple thing. We call it radical amputation, you know, doing whatever it takes to be mm-hmm. free. And really, they love their life more than their desire for freedom because they're not willing to give up that job and trust the Lord that if they do that, he will give them a different job and mm-hmm. help them and meet their needs. Yeah, yeah. I I think that sounds like it probably is really common. And then it just like you said, the whole lifestyle needs to change because now you're talking to someone and you're kind of confronting the love of success, the love of pleasure and ease and comfort. Like, I want my cush job. I want my cush life. And so now you're saying, well, we're going to have to do away with a lot of that stuff if you're going to find freedom. And people are like, whoa, this is just too much. Yeah. And what you said lends itself to another big one I thought of. We live in a hedonistic culture. It's all pleasure-driven. It's all about pleasure. And people have glutted themselves on entertainment, Uh whether it be sports, whether it be movies, worldly music, and all these different things. And if you're not willing to look at that and see what is actually promoting a godly lifestyle or what is actually a detriment to living for God, if you're not willing to give up pleasure as a lifestyle— you're never going to find freedom from sexual sin. That's like the pinnacle of physical or, you know, fleshly pleasure. Right, yeah. Um, The other thing that we thought about was ignorance. Like maybe there are people out there who just have never really, um, they have no idea what it would look like to live in freedom or what it would take. Have you seen people like that? Yeah, it's very common in our culture. They may, maybe they come from a worldly church where they, maybe give them psychologized type answers, psychology, Mm -hmm. uh, behavior modification, or, you know, you just need to join a support group or you just need to have accountability in your life or just get the right web filter, use a dumb phone, you know, all these different outward (laughs) things you can do. They're good. 
They can be good and they can help you to cut off that source of temptation. But the problem is they're really just addressing the symptoms of their issue. They're dealing with the fruit and not the root, the heart issues of their problem. And unless they understand that there's heart issues that must be dealt with, you can keep chopping that fruit off every day of your life and it's just going to grow back. So you're never going to find true and lasting freedom. Right. A lot of these people in these churches have never even heard of the word repentance as far as a lifestyle, that you actually need to not just confess your sin, but forsake it. Repent, find true freedom in Christ, and, and really repentance and putting your faith in Christ. And it has nothing to do with the outward behavior so much. Mm-hmm. Jesus talked about cleaning the inside of the cup, not just the outside. Mm-hmm. And people are stuck a lot of times in ignorance because they're constantly trying to clean the outside of the cup, but they've never dealt with the inside of the cup. Yeah, and as you're talking, I'm thinking about how hopeless that would feel, right, in a culture where there's so many different avenues to get into sin. So if you're really going to talk about chopping off the different fruits, it's like, I got to get a dumb phone, and I got to get a web filter, and I can't have TV, and I can't go to the mall by myself, and I can't go here, and I can't do this, and I can't do that, and you're constantly just, it's like, what kind of hope is there when I'm surrounded by a sexualized culture, and if it's really just all about behavior modification, then you might as well just like move to the Sahara Desert, you know, if you're going to really think about just getting away from temptation. Right. Yeah. The other thing we thought about was self-effort. This is something that I can definitely relate to, but when a person is just living in self-effort, how do you see that showing up in their life, and then why does that keep them from freedom? Well, I would say this. A lot of guys come to us, um, and one of the first things we tell guys is you need to have a devotional life. And a lot of these guys have no prayer life, and the proof that you're trying to do it in your own strength is because of your prayerless life. If they really understood their desperate condition and only God can set them free, it would drive them to their needs in prayer. It's basically another manifestation of your self-life. You're trying to live your life in your own strength. We call it white-knuckling. You know, if I can just muster up the strength, you know, and just determine to do what's right, I'm going to be okay. You're basically trying to win a spiritual battle with fleshly weapons. Mm -hmm. You know, you're trying to overcome the flesh in the flesh, and it's impossible. I like what Paul said. He says uh, to the Galatians in chapter 3, he says, Are you so foolish, having begun in the Spirit? Are you now trying to be made perfect through the flesh? Mm-hmm. You know, one uh, translation says, are you now trying to attain your goal through human effort? Mm. And it's it's futile, it's impossible. Uh, and that's what a lot of the self-help culture that we live in promotes is basically man becoming his own redeemer. If you just have enough knowledge, you know, enough determination, enough support around you, you can change. But you're the source. Right. And Jesus came to save us from our sins. You can't save yourself. Yeah. So then there's just constant angst, constant frustration because you're trying to figure out how to dig within yourself to meet the demands of this life of purity. And it just, it's not there. Right. It's not there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Man, how, how hopeless it is to think that I just need to muster this up within myself and then be proven, you know, it's proven time and time again, you don't have what it takes. Yeah, I would just add this, uh, Nate. Obviously, our hope, our source of hope is in Jesus Christ. 
And Jesus used an interesting analogy in John 15 of a vine and the branch. Mm. You know, and Jesus is the vine, we know, and we're the branch. And he said something that we hate as men. We hate to be weak. We hate to be needy. We hate to not have it all together or whatever. But the reality is he said, apart from me, you can do nothing. You know, I sometimes kid guys, I heard this before, you know, in original Greek, it means nothing. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Literally, you can do nothing of spiritual or eternal value without Jesus. He's the source. Mm. But with that, there's tremendous hope because through Christ, everything's possible. In everything that we've tried to do in our own strength, we found out we couldn't do it. We will find that strength in him, but it's Mm -hmm. in a relationship with him. Not just going to church on Sunday and say, okay, I'm going to read my Bible today, but actually having a relationship with him and his strength then is perfected in our weakness. Mm. Yeah, and as you're talking too, I'm just thinking about, I want to encourage people as well that it's not in vain to come to an experiential knowledge of your inability. You know, when you really come to the end of yourself, oftentimes that's when you find the strength of the Lord in reality. You've been trying and trying and trying and trying and trying, but not coming to that place of real surrender. Like, okay, I just admit it. I can't do this, and I need you to work this into my life. But that place of happy despair, in a sense, is very, very important to come to. Um, Here's another one that I can relate to, obsessive self-focus. Can you put some flesh on those bones and explain also why that would keep somebody from finding freedom? Yeah, I mean, just like it implies, you're basically constantly looking to yourself, And it kind of goes along with self-effort, but this is a person that's like morbidly introspective. You know, you're constantly looking at yourself and trying to find something good in yourself or trying to find something within yourself, the strength you need. And, And one of the problems in a practical sense for someone trying to find freedom is when you're looking at yourself, you're making your problem bigger than Jesus. Mm-hmm. So yourself is right in front of you, so you can't see past self to see God. So in, in essence, you're making yourself and your issues bigger than God. And I thought it was interesting that uh, all the difference in the world is what are you focusing on? You know, And I thought it was interesting that Jesus used the brazen serpent in John chapter mm. 3 and he used an analogy between, it was pointing to him, a type of Christ. You know, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. And then he yeah. goes on to say, whoever believes in Christ will be saved. Well, it's interesting. They looked at that serpent and they lived. Hmm. And if we can just take our eyes off ourselves and look at Jesus, he's the source of that life that you're never going to find by constantly looking at yourself. That's awesome. Yeah, because the object of our faith is Jesus. And I don't understand exactly why it is that way, that what God really is asking us to do is get our eyes off of ourselves and onto Jesus, off our problems, off our inability, off our um, failures, and just fix them onto Jesus. But for some reason, that's his prescription. That's his way for us. And We'll never really learn to do it until we just do it. Exactly. You know? And I think both of us can attest to the fact that it's a real process of learning to let Jesus really be the focus of our faith. It seems like it's 
we look to Jesus and then oh, look back at ourselves, and then look to Jesus, look back at ourselves. But just as more encouragement, just the fight is worth it, the fight of that faith. For sure. Yeah. And that's the thing too. Someone that's in this thing of self-focus, they typically have a negative self-talk. It's almost like their inside world, they're just speaking unbelief constantly. Yeah. I can't do it. You know, I've tried and I've failed. Yeah. I've been doing this so long. How am I ever going to be free? Right. But all you're doing is just magnifying the problem. Uh-huh. And you're not going to be free until you look to Jesus. Yeah, yeah. Amen. Okay, lastly, I want to talk about cynicism, which is similar to what you were just talking about, this negative self-talk, but... I think it's just, you know, cynicism is like someone who just generally has a belief that nothing is going to work. When they look at every circumstance and every possible um, situation, it's just automatically given this negative spin. Talk about that and why that will never lead to freedom. Well, it's interesting because that word cynical, one of the definitions talks about being bitterly or sneeringly distrustful contemptuous Mm. or pessimistic. Mm. And eventually I want to get to the point where, you know, that's an attitude toward God. Mm. But the reality is when you're cynical and you believe nothing good's going to happen, you're not going to find freedom if you're not looking for it. Mm. And if you're not doing something, moving in that direction, it basically paralyzes you Mm. where you're not going to do the necessary things to find freedom because what's the use? It's not going to work anyway. Right, right. Um, But really what I wanted to bring out with this is that cynicism is really an unbelieving indictment against God. That somehow, yeah, God's been good to other people, but Mm -hmm. he's not good to me. Or God's helped other people, but he's not willing or able to help me. Mm -hmm. It's basically making yourself like an exception. Like Jesus can save everyone, but he can't save me. (laughs) Yeah, right. You know, and when you're looking at yourself, when we talked about this obsessive self-focus, it can lend itself to that because you've done everything you can and you've completely exhausted your resources. And at that point, you're at a crossroads. Either you're going to totally give up and just quit trying or you're going to look to Jesus in your despair and find your hope in him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, I just, sometimes we look at the Old Testament, we look at the Israelites, and we look at what they said about God. You know, you brought us out here to kill us, or whatever it might be. And I'm just amazed at how similar my internal reactions to life can be when you get right down to it. Maybe I wouldn't say blatantly, God brought me here to kill me, but I might say something like, well, maybe I'm just one of those ones that he won't save. Like he is using my life as a platform to show his wrath or something like that, instead of realizing his heart truly is merciful, that when he's promised that anyone who seeks him will find him, that he really means that. Me too. Not just like a theoretical anyone, but a true anyone that includes me. It can be very hard, you know? Sin just distorts our perspectives and it breeds this cynicism and unbelief and we've got to break out of it. It's so true. And that's why it's so important to have our minds renewed by the word of God and really come into a true knowledge of who he is, you know, his nature, his character. These aren't just cliches or nice sayings, you know, God is good, his mercy endures forever. That's the absolute truth of a God who never changes. And his promises are true because he's true. 
And he has all power and all willingness, all ability and, and a desire to save anyone yeah. that will come to him. Amen. There are a couple of scriptures I wanted to just bring out with this that have been yeah, meaningful please. to me. Uh, in Psalm 86, it says, For you, O Lord, are good and ready to forgive and abundant in mercy to all those who call upon you. Mm. And then talking about God's character or his nature, uh, Psalm 9, the Lord also will be a refuge for the oppressed, a refuge in times of trouble. And those who know your name, in other words, your character, your nature, will put their trust in you, for you have not forsaken those who seek you. Mm. And just believing that God really is who he says he is, Mm -hmm. and that he'll do what he says he will do will make all the difference in the world for someone that's involved in that cynical mindset and needing to come out of it. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I I think this is really good, this um, interview, because what we're trying to get across to a person is that the feeling of hopelessness is not an actual picture of the reality. They're not hopeless. What they have been doing in the past is preventing the hope of God from really coming in because of the way they've lived, but there's so much reason to hope if we would just learn God's ways. And if we would put off cynicism, put off unbelief, if we would turn our lives over to him instead of dealing on our own terms and some of the other things we've been talking about, hope will begin to really spring up into these people's lives and they'll see life in a totally different way. That is so true. Yeah. I thought about that scripture in John 8 where Jesus said, if you abide in my word or continue in my word, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. And then later on he goes, and whom the Son sets free is free indeed. Hopelessness is a terrible feeling. It eclipses hope and faith. It terrorizes the mind and the soul. It tells us that everything is impossible. Anthony is on staff with us, and before he came to the residential program, he lived in a constant state of hopelessness and depression, but God. I'll let Anthony share how his hopelessness turned into great hope. I'm going to read from Psalms 30, verse 11. This is actually the verse that I picked when I graduated, this one and verse 12. But verse 11 says, you have turned for me my mourning into dancing. You have put off my sackcloth and clothed me with gladness. So before Pure Life, I struggled majorly with depression um, to the point where there were numerous times where I thought the best way to escape the pain was to just completely go to sleep for a whole weekend. Of course, when I wake back up, it's still there. But for a temporary relief, I would go Friday, Saturday, and Sunday to go straight to sleep all the time. And if I woke up, I would eat a bunch of food, go into gluttony, put myself in a carb overload, go back to sleep. Wake up, go back to sleep. Wake up, go back to sleep. And I did that for years and years. And it was just, I just couldn't function in life. That was the only way that I knew how to make it through. The only relief that I found when I was younger was through academics. So I would just plunge myself into study. But when that exhausted itself, all I knew to do was was to sleep or overeat. The Lord showed me that there's no worth in academics, so I let that go. I did the same thing through other areas of life. I went through career, and I went into sexual sin, and each one, I thought there was a promise, and when I exhausted the resource, I just went back to doing these things. 
And so when I came here into the program, my counselor called on very early that I struggled with depression. And he said, I want you to work on gratitude. And I want you to work on, uh, he actually gave me an assignment to go out on the ridge and worship. And I was like, what is that? It was like, he said, just go out for 15 minutes and go worship. And I was like, well, I don't know what that is. So I went out to the ridge and I said, okay, I am making a declaration. I'm going to worship. And that was it. That's what I did. I mean, I just, I just sat there and I was like, Lord, the intent is there. And I was like, I'm doing it. Because <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't know what else to do other than just say, okay, I, I am going to listen. I'm going to obey. And now I'm doing it. And it stayed like that for like five or six days. And absolutely nothing happened. But he saw that I'm, I'm listening. I'm obeying. I'm trying to do what his word says. There's been a lot of theme of praising the Lord. And so I say, well, that's what the word says. I know that I don't know the answer. I believe in what my counselor says. I'm going to go praise him. I tried. Nothing happened. But and I think I had that assignment for a whole month. And so eventually, as time pressed on, I started to really experience the Lord and really just stop focusing on myself and start really focusing on him. But anyway, over time, as he started to teach me what worship is, I remember one time I was doing homework in the student center. This is probably like month five or whatever. And I was doing homework and it just all of a sudden out of nowhere, I just felt a pull from the Lord to go out on the ridge. I can't explain it other than I felt, as we've heard earlier, him call me. I just stopped my homework and went to the ridge and just worshiped him. And I was like, wow, that was amazing. Just like I've never done it before. It went from a theological mind intent declaring it to a heart experience it being real. And it's amazing. It really was amazing. It was just learning how to praise him. And I still struggle sometimes with depression today. I mean, like a month or two ago, I was going through it. And so I said, I'm going to go to sleep again. But he wouldn't let me. He actually woke me up in the morning and I couldn't, I couldn't stay where I once was. He gave me praise and gratitude. And so my real testimony is in the next verse that's after verse 11. Verse 12 says, to the end that my glory may sing praise to you and not be silent. Oh, Lord, my God, I will give you thanks to you forever. So that's my testimony now, going from one of mourning, one of depression, focusing on all my circumstances of life, focusing now on him and forever giving him praise beyond a declaration, but from a heart cry of what it really means to me. So I thank God for that. I can't think of anything more discouraging than to know that a life of freedom and hope and liberty is available, but to not know how to obtain that kind of life. I'd like to encourage you to consider that if you're feeling hopeless, maybe it's not because God is holding out on you or because freedom is impossible, but rather because you have been preventing yourself from experiencing hope. It takes real courage to go down this line of thinking, but I can tell you from personal experience that every single time I've faced myself, every time I've allowed the Lord to expose some barrier or hindrance in my life, I've only increased in hope. When I follow the Good Shepherd into those dark areas of my heart, he brings his light, his truth, his power into my life and hope begins to spontaneously arise from within. If you're feeling hopeless today, please ask the Lord if any of the barriers that we discussed today are keeping you from experiencing the hope and the power of his promises. 
Next week, we're going to continue this discussion about hopelessness, and we'll discuss some action steps that some of you may need to take to break out of this pattern of sin. In the meantime, we've got plenty of podcasts, videos, testimonies, and sermons all available on our website at purelifeministries.org. May God bless you. Purity for Life is a production of Pure Life Ministries. For over 30 years, Pure Life Ministries has been the go-to for those whose lives have been devastated by sexual sin. Visit us on the web for more information about our life-changing counseling programs and powerful teaching materials. Also check out our video clips of men and women whose lives have been radically transformed. All that and more at purelifeministries.org.